Good morning, ladies and gentle people. Scott Colborn, partially awake here in the studios of KZUM Lincoln in uh, lush southeast Lincoln, Nebraska. We've experienced just about an inch of rain overnight. And here is Jim Shorney for what we call the impromptu weather forecast. Oh, sure. Put me on the spot. It's a good thing I have it right here. Well, we're in a flood watch, believe it or not. Late December, we are in a flood watch. Uh, the high is going to be near 49 today. Light and variable wind. Chance of precipitation 100% with new amounts of uh, half to three-quarters of an inch possible. So make sure there aren't any holes in your boat. Now, we've got Pet Talk coming up with Charlene from the Capital Humane mm-hmm. Society. And uh, it's raining, but I don't see any raining cats and dogs yet. Do you, Charlene? Nope, they are all warm in the shelter. All warm and dry, that's good. Jim just gave us the weather forecast, and it looks like wet, followed by more wet. Mm-hmm. But if this amount of precipitation had been in uh, coming in snow, we'd be having a really interesting day. 29 feet of snow. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> Charlene, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you um, I could be better. I'm going to get there. I'm just recovering from a cold, uh, but I'm feeling ornery, so that's a good sign. Well, nothing different there, then. <laughs> hey, tell us at year end what's going on at the Capital Humane Society. Um, we are busy with adoptions. We are looking forward to doing more adoptions today. Um, it's been a great year. So many people are choosing to adopt their pets, and we're very grateful for that. I always like to see the updates on our Facebook page um, from people who have adopted and who update us about how well it's going. Uh, that always is very rewarding. So we are happy to have our doors open and are ready to have more people adopt today. Boy, what a job. That's that's just great that you guys get to have so much fun with the animals. What's this yeah. about Community Cone Cares at Ivana Cone? So that's a great fundraiser. Um, 10% of the sales will be donated to Capital Humane Society if you visit there. Um, and there's more details about that on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. Um, we are very grateful for all the dine-in type events that help us with fundraising. Um, we just got to get something that, that appeals to Jim. Are you an ice cream fan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and, you know, you think, who wants to eat ice cream in the winter? But Everybody. It, it actually, it helps you to warm up because it kicks your body's heating mechanisms into action. Yeah, if, if my kids were little, I'd say, it's really cold outside. You, you guys sure you want to stop for ice cream? And they would go, Dad. Heck yes, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I've got cats for adoption opening here, and uh, you folks at home, <clears throat> if you want to follow along, you're, you're welcome to. It's capitalhumanesociety.org. We've got cats and kittens for adoption, and here's Shirley with our first cat or kitten. A bed is first. A very handsome orange tabby cat, about two years old. Uh, really a staff favorite. He's pretty new to the adoption program, but the staff just thinks he's adorable. He's looks, just uh, a really friendly big guy. Looks more like a cat to me. <laughs> yeah, that's the first abed that we've ever had. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, these cats all have uh, thumbnail photos. When you click on that, they pop up, and there's some text with them if the information is available so you can follow along. 
capitalhumanesociety.org. We're looking at cats and kittens for adoption. A bed is our first cat, followed by... Next up is Spot. Also a cute cat, about a year old, a neutered male, a nice cat seeking a nice family, uh, ready to meet his perfect match today. You know, of course, that makes me think of Star Trek The Next Generation, where Commander Data had a pet cat named Spot. <laughs> Spot, can you show some enthusiasm? Come on, buddy, just lift your head off. The, come on. Yeah, okay. whatever. Can I go back to sleep now? <laughs> Great-looking cat. Spot is our second cat, and he's got a buddy whose name is... Hyder. And Hyder is about a year old, uh, also a neutered male, domestic short hair, has pretty black and brown tabby markings. And Hyder is an expert at hiding, so you got a little picture of him there on the website of him peeking out of his hiding spot. Um, He really wants to find a family he can trust. Once he does, he curls up in your lap and has kind of this growl purr going, and he's just an interesting and fun friend. Well, yeah, my personal experience with cats is the first couple of days you take them home, they hide. And uh-huh. then, you know, a few days they warm up and get used to their surroundings and uh, they, you can't keep them out of your lap. Yep. And that's exactly right. We do see a lot of really shy ones that are going to hide. And so sometimes it's a good idea just to give them a small space to start, yep. like a spare bathroom or yep. spare bedroom instead of the whole house. So that way you can make sure that they are eating and they are okay. Mm-hmm. And then once they, you know, feel comfortable, like you yeah. said, they'll warm up and start sitting on your lap and being the best little friend. Yeah, just let them be. They'll come to you. Several uh-huh. cardboard boxes are always a hit. Yeah, you can yes. you can spend $100 on a cat toy and they'll play with the box. Yep. Right. Put yep, a box on its back right. and one on its side and let them choose. And, yep, they're fun. The really funny, well, the, the internet picture of a cheetah sitting in a box. That was hilarious. <laughs> three, three cats, a bed, spot, and hider. They join the rest of these great cats and kittens for adoption. Take a look at them at capitalhumanesociety.org or... Better yet, put on the rain gear and go out and see him today mm-hmm. and tomorrow. Here's Charlene with Hours Open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 5.30. Okay, Charlene, from Jim and I and all the gang here at EUP, Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year to you. Thank it's going to be a great one, I'm sure. It sure is. See you next decade. <laughs> it's crazy how fast it goes. Yep. Yeah, just wait till you get to be my age. It goes really quick. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all that you do. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. Next up is going to be uh, Brent Rains and his segment, What is Reality? Our main guest today is Carol Fleet, and it'll be a fun program. We're talking about a new year, a new you. You know, we all make these New Year's resolutions. Sometimes we put them down in writing. Sometimes we have them floating around our head. Um, I went to see the doctor over my chest cold a couple of days ago, and he said, step on the sale, uh, scale, rather. So I did, and I thought to myself, that can't be right. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got a at least one New Year's resolution already Fairly firmly in place. 
Um, I'm trying out this morning, folks. I don't know what you've got in your beverage cup, but I've got some French roast. Let me try it here. Yep. So French roast, um, I married into years ago, we're now divorced, but I married into a family where they were all connoisseurs of French roast, and that's what they served. And sometimes um, whoever was making that liked it really strong. Wasn't sure who it was, but you could put a spoon in it and let go of the spoon, and it would slowly sort of drift over to the side of the cup and rest. So I didn't make this quite that strong, but it's definitely robust. Um, and I thank uh, that anonymous benefactor for that gift of uh, the French roast. I sure appreciate it, and it's sure tasting good. Hey, I, I have some interesting news to announce. Um, have you all seen the work of the comedian and actor Steve Berg? Yeah. Honestly, I have not, but I, I know the name. Yeah. So, um... He's been in um, a number of movies. He does stand-up comedy. He's originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And um, Steve, I met him, or I should say re-met him again, at Paula Harris's event in November, the Starworks USA UFO Symposium. And uh, so Paula from the stage said uh, this gentleman, Steve Berg, gave his uh, accreditations and said that, he got his start by going to um, a conference. And Steve said, yeah, it was a conference in Lincoln, Nebraska. And Paula pulled a fast one. She's great on her feet. She said, yes. And the guy that put that on is se seated right over there. And Steve said, really? And I said, yeah. So we connected. And what a great moment. We've had uh, uh, some great conversation. I met Steve for lunch here this week. Uh, and... Uh, we uh, enjoyed the conversation and fellowship. And so I said, Steve, you are a guy that you, you have a gift for being curious and for looking at things in a really fun way. You're interested in unexplained phenomena. Would you consider doing a segment periodically as we open the show? And I said, you know, we've got this fifth Saturday open it's about four times a year. And Steve said, let me get back to you, which is always good. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm in. So we're trying to come up with a name. Steve's going to basically plot this out. I gave him some very broad parameters, mm -hmm. and then it's basically his baby. So we're going to have more information as we go on to 2020. But his segment's going to debut on Leap Year. February 29th. Isn't that cool? Yeah, the fifth yeah. Saturday. We get those, what, every four years? The fifth Saturday of February, as Steve Berg debuts with his uh, first segment. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Really a great guy. Very, very intelligent. You know, I found most people that are interested in this that have any sort of background in terms of education, reading, they are intelligent. Because I think if you're intelligent, you're curious about the world around you. And uh, so we welcome Steve Berg to the show. We'll be talking with him February 29th. Speaking of intelligence, our next guest ranks right up there. And uh, he's become a friend of ours, a valued compatriot, a colleague, 
the author of a recent book on John A. Keel. Folks, this is Brent Rains from someplace in Tennessee. Is it raining there, Brent, or is it dry? Well, it rained a little last night, but right now it's dry, but we're expecting some more rain to come in. But uh, we've had some some great weather here up in the uh, you know upper 50s, lower 60s, or mid-60s, so we can't complain. Not, not for this time of year. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, you know, everybody says, yeah, it's, it's a dreary day in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's raining. And as Jim so eloquently said, would you like to have... 29 feet of snow, or would you like to have some rain? Now, you're the one that said 29 feet. <laughs> well, I don't know, what, six well, or eight feet or something. Yeah, a lot of snow, and yeah. enough to cause some problems for us. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for what we have. I know that other parts of the country and uh, some of my family up in Maine, where I'm originally from, I'm so lucky right now. Oh, yeah, and, and northeast Nebraska and western Nebraska are getting it. Uh, okay, Brent, so we, we've got you on the show here, and your, your segment is called What is Reality? Um, what have you got for us this month? What are you curious about? Well, I'm, I'm uh, really, I've, I've recently uh, rejoined Ray Hernandez. He's starting up a new project uh, on, uh, called uh, CCRI, Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, where he's going to be dealing with all of the contact modalities. Um, and uh, I don't remember if I said it or not, but he's got about 18 PhDs that are all volunteering to assist, you know, go through the data and try to come up with uh, looking at all the various elements of consciousness and physics, and and it's it's going to be not just the contact, UFO contact experience, but it's going to be uh, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, psychokinesis, uh, you know, uh, uh, Marian apparitions, Mm-hmm. EVPs, you know, electronic voice phenomena, everything. And so I've uh, I've been kind of, you know, back when I was with the was Free Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Extraordinary Experiences, I, uh, I developed a project to look at uh, alien instruments, devices that, you know, they were, you know, ETs were reported using. And we had over 100 responses. So I want to get back on board and uh, see what's... Uh, what's compiled in the survey since then on that and uh, some other aspects. But I'm, I'm looking at that and, and looking at uh, modern historical threads. Like, um, there were quite a number of people, the experiences described, uh, for example, uh, wands. And often they had a light on the tip, and they would mm-hmm. affect the consciousness of the person. They would direct various uh, events with these wands. They could heal with them and so on. And it kind of made me think of, you know, like Jacques Vallée's uh, 1969 uh, Passport to Magonia kind of took me back to thinking about uh, uh, fairies, little people, gnomes, leprechauns, and all that sort of stuff, you know, and how um, the comparison, you know, we, we think of wands as lights as connected with, with fairies and things. And um, a lot of descriptions of the beings, you know, the greys and so on, are, are often these little little beings with great physical strength and and. and there's just a lot of commonalities there that, uh, however you explain it, they, they really need to, I think, be further explored. So, yeah, uh, some, some, of the, some of the technology is very, very interesting. Uh, uh, Charles Hall talks about the uh, tall whites having a device um, that they could do anything from immobilize somebody 
to uh, cause physical harm or death, and it was apparently adjustable. Um, what do you suppose the source of that that is? What kind of energy is that? Is it a laser? Uh, is it a uh, uh, something that that is much more different that interacts with our perceptual abilities or consciousness? Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's difficult to you know um, to the, really to determine exactly because the the consciousness and the physics of these events are often uh, altered from what we consider mm-hmm. consensus normal, you know, and uh, so you know when your perceptions can be altered and you can have beings that are. Uh, shape shifting. They may be first a ball of light, and then it suddenly morphs into a, uh, a more human type appearance, or perhaps uh, a gray, a reptilian, or whatever the appearance may be, and and um, uh, do various things. Um, it's it's you know you've got to look at at all of it: the the psychological consciousness, the mechanics of of the the physics and consciousness itself and, mm-hmm. and how it's experienced. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, I kind of, kind of like the way Ray Hernandez said it, uh, a while back that we're just learning to ask the right questions. He felt, um, but yeah, it, uh, I know that some of the reports like the injury, uh, incidents that were described with UFO activity on the, on the Island of, um, uh, well, at the mouth of the Amazon, I remember it begins with C, but my, my geriatric brain is failing me right now. <laughs> More coffee, uh, Brent. Were, yes. <laughs> well, I got a Coke here, <laughs> but, uh, Valley, Valet was down there, uh, investigating it years ago. And I may think he made four visits. And then, uh, Bob Pratt went down there and, and also conducted investigation, um, of, many different sightings, but he was especially interested in the Calaris. That was an island incidence. And uh, there was about, I think about 35 people that had been reported injury, and there was a a local doctor there who was, you know, examining the people. They had been hit around the face or the chest area by these beams of light. And it was all pretty well documented. And uh, there was a military presence on the island as well as a lot of civilian journalists because of the uh, heavy amount of activity, even the doctor was was uh, a witness to a, a large cylindrical-type craft flying over the main street of this little village, and she just walked down the street following it as it slowly moved over the village. And, uh, and um, you know, um, that was something that was, I think, quite well-witnessed and, and uh, not just um, where we have to ask is it the Oz effect uh, was it a screen memory uh, imposed upon the observer there were multiple observers and uh, because I say the military presence and interestingly uh, Valley wrote in I uh, can't remember which book it was but uh, one of his books he wrote about how an American firm uh, reportedly came down and uh, collected the negatives to all the, the photographs from the civilian journalists so he wrote that someone here in America has uh, conclusive uh, photographic evidence of the reality of these things. 
Um, Let me run something by you. You know, you and I have read a lot of Jacques Vallée, and he talks about this phenomenon, this UFO phenomenon, as over history presenting itself to us in uh, ways that we can grasp, but it appears to be just beyond our present ability. And it's been with us for the ages. Um, It is interactive through our consciousness. Grant Cameron then posits the, the, uh, the question, if you are a person who is a peaceful seeking person, um, and you look for, actively look for contact with that in your heart, you're met by that same experience. If you're a, a ex-Special Forces guy or gal that's armed from the head to the foot and looking for combat, you're met with that same sort of experience. And he compares the people that go to um, with Ricardo Gonzalez to one of the retreats. Uh, they spend a couple of days fasting and in prayer and then have uh, some extraordinary experiences. Flyovers right over their head, uh, beings seen in the periphery. And then he compares that to uh, Skinwalker Ranch, where these ex-Special Forces guys and gals were there and were basically fighting gigantic uh, werewolves, beasts, things coming out of the uh, out of portals that were immune to bullets. Does that ring true to you? Does that make any sense to you? Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. I've I've wondered that myself. Um, you know, Keyleclist always talked about the reflective factor that whatever you know um, that the phenomenon seems the intelligence behind the phenomena, uh, assuming, you know, uh, whatever it is, is, is um, kind of picking up on our intention, our intentions and what we're looking for, and some might call it the, the trickster phenomenon, and uh, what you get is kind of a, a feedback type effect, and... Well, that's a good way you know, to say I, it. I, I kind of wondered, uh, you know, I had some correspondence with Gary Nolan, who's working uh, doing study of experiences, and a lot of them are, and his study are ex-military. He's working with Kiss, Christopher Kit Green, who worked with um, the CIA back in 1972 and was assigned by Richard Helms to uh, to uh, study the remote viewing work being done at uh, Stanford Research Institute and, and elsewhere. And uh, he became aware back then of... of uh, the UFO orb-type phenomenon, after all, he's working with Uri Geller and people like that, and Ingo Swan. And um, and so anyway, I, I asked Gary Nolan about, uh, you know, um, the cases that they were studying, and they have over 100 people are studying. As I said, a lot of them security people, military, police, and uh, I, I found out that... Uh, you know, they were looking at brain scans and their medical records, and, and these were considered reliable, reliable people. Um, but they were dealing just with the injury cases. And, you know, like three in their work is, has been saying that uh, about 50% of their experiences are reporting healing. And I asked, how about mm-hmm. the healing cases? And and they, they haven't studied any of those yet. And so it's kind of 
that kind of made me think of what you're talking about. You know, it's where where they're looking and where, where their expectations and their interest is, and uh, what if you know if they were to perhaps alter their approach a little, they might come up with uh, some compelling evidence for the healing element as well. <laughs> our our colleague Preston Dennett, I would refer people to his mm-hmm. book on UFO healings. That is a, a compendium. You could use that thing as a doorstop. It is weighty, thick. Uh, hundreds of reports in there. Um, and that was always a, a criticism that was aimed at David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins, that um, they were very skilled at what they did, very, very knowledgeable, the tops in the field, in terms of people that had traumatic, negative UFO contact. Uh, the term abductions was used. Uh, and the point was made that if a person that had a UFO healing contacted one of these guys and said, my experience is just different, I've been healed, and I welcome the contact, they would say, you know, great for you, glad that's working for you, thanks very much. But there was a question as to whether or not their input got included in the overall data. So some people believe that that was skewed from the onset to only reflect those quote-unquote traumatic or negative experiences, and the unspoken um, some would argue majority of healings of positive contact were not being talked about. So I think we've got to look at the whole phenomenon. Brent, as the year rolls to a close here, take the last 60 seconds and (laughs) sum up 2019 for us. Where are we at and where are we going? (laughs) In in one minute. Yep. 58 seconds now. Well, well, I, 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 I don't know, you know, exactly where we've been, but uh, it's, it's been an interesting year. We've, uh, we've had, uh, you know, a guy who had said that he had Pentagon uh, connections and, and um, working with uh, Tom DeLong there, the musician, and uh, and other scientists, Hal Putoff, and they're, they're trying, they say, to get the you know, evidence on UFOs uh, looked at seriously. A lot of prominent former government people, and we've got uh, now the Navy admitting that they have had anomalous uh, UFO activities they've been looking at and being open to listening to their people. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, we're we're on a good track right now, and and things will, you know, be more and more out in the open. I mean, this is certainly a quite a departure from the years and years of Project Blue Book and the Condon Committee and all the negative, uh, <laughs> you know, this insufficient evidence of any any reality to this stuff. It's all misidentification and all this. And now the, the tune seems to be changing. Uh, and we have, you know, senators and people who are wanting to find out more and pushing for disclosure. So, hey, uh, I'm all for it. Uh, in the meantime... Uh, we've all got to try to do our part and try to bring, bring forward uh, more of an understanding of what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brent Rains is the editor and publisher of a monthly online newsletter. You can subscribe free or charge. And it's AP, the letters APmagazine.info, a recommended newsletter. And uh, Brent and folks listening, look at the Facebook page for Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. I just posted this last night, a link to a NASA statement that came out on the 25th about NASA's acknowledgement of historical UFO sightings 
Um, it may be weighed as a pretty impressive statement, another move towards disclosure. So with that, we'll leave you. Brent, all the best to you and your wife and family. And uh, I so much appreciate your input on the show. And I wish you a right. world of continuing good. Well, same with you, Scott, and, and Jim and Colleen. And I wish you all a happy new year. And the 2020 uh, brings us good health and many blessings. Thanks very much. And back at you. Brent Rains, editor and publisher of AP Magazine. It's apmagazine.info. And right there on that page, you'll see his book on John Keel. It's in my library. It's a must-read book. Uh, as we've talked about Jacques Vallée, John Keel was one of the mentors of yours personally. And um, I recommend you read the book. Okay, we'll talk to Brent next year, next decade. Mm-hmm. Let's get Carol Fleet on the show. On the show. We'll do that. And uh, we'll take the bottom of the hour break. We'll be right back with more Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Just rolls right off my tongue. I've had 35 years of practice. Lots of practice. Okay, refill your coffee cups. Here we go, folks. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Gives me a special uh, thrill to welcome back our friend Carol Fleet. Carol joins us for uh, what's been turning into an annual conversation. Now, we have her on at other times, too, because she's a sought-after guest. Um, Probably, in my opinion, the world's expert on grief, uh, reconciliation, uh, and there is none better, in my mind, than Carol Fleet. So we've, we've had her on for a number of years at the year end to encapsulate things to help us prepare to move into this next year and to give some really pithy, earthy advice on how we can do that. Uh, take the old ways of trying to make up lists of how we're going to change and Toss those out the window, and uh, we'll be talking with Carol about some new ways to move into a new year, a new you. She's the author of Loss is a Four-Letter Word, a bereavement camp, boot camp for the widowed. When bad things happen to good women, getting you or someone you love through the toughest times. Happily, even after, a guide to letting uh, letting to getting through and beyond the grief of widowhood, and Widows Wear Stilettos, a practical and emotional guide for the young widow. Uh, The one and only Carol Fleet. Hi, Carol, good morning. Good morning, Scott, how are you? Thanks for asking, I'm doing great, and enjoying coffee, and looking forward to having conversation with you, as we always do. Uh, Oh, thank you so much, it's so great to be back. How is your family? How's your husband doing? Our, our family is good. My husband is well on the way to recovery. Uh, thank goodness. It has been, um, it, it's been a harrowing month. <laughs> he has uh, certainly gotten our attention the last month or so, uh, but he is, uh, he is, thank, thank God and the universe and mm-hmm. all of our, our wonderful support system. Uh, he is on the road to recovery, and uh, I could not be more grateful. It has been an especially meaningful holiday season for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol, the program is A New Year, A New You, uh, yes. and you've got some background in that. I do, and uh, <laughs> thanks to my husband, that background is just increasing by the day. <laughs> 
So you've, you've led, um, if you'll permit me to call it a movement, at least a growing consciousness about things that every single one of us experience. It may be through um, the loss of a loved one. It may be through a health crisis. It may be through uh, a career change or more abruptly being fired. Um, some huge life changes. And there is a, uh, an element oftentimes of grief and that whole process of letting go that is very individual and you become an expert in that field. Um, and it's because of your own personal experiences. You don't write from going to libraries and doing research from other people's. No. You write from your experience and what you've gained from working directly with other people. That's right. And, you know, we don't, well, we don't want to ever put anybody down for education and going to libraries and such. It's been my experience over the last 15 years that audiences really enjoy hearing from somebody who has lived it, whatever it happens to be. And when I say, when we say the word grief or we say the word loss, we tend to immediately go in our heads to death. And that's normal. That, that's, that, that's, that's obvious. But loss and subsequent grief can encompass so many different things. And, Scott, you've touched on a number of them. Uh, loss of a job, loss of a home, loss of a relationship, uh, loss of all kinds of things in our life that really alter the tenor of the lives that we are used to living. And what happens is that we... We tend not to, for whatever reason, we tend not to acknowledge the, the substantial influence that loss has on us. You know, why am I grieving the loss of a job that I didn't like anyway? Why am I grieving the loss of a relationship that made me miserable? Why am I grieving the loss of a friendship that was toxic? Uh, there's so many different uh, complexions to loss. And the sooner that we redefine and broaden what loss is, the happier we're all going to be as a whole. And yes, I think that audiences are much more receptive to somebody who can take them by the hand, look them in the eye, whether it's in person, online, through a book, and say, I've been there, I get it, and together, we're going to get you through this. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Carol Fleet. Uh, She's a recognized world's expert on grief. Uh, the whole process, which really is a process of uh, recovery. Some movement is slower than others. And uh, I've gained from, from Carol's books that I've read that it's a very individual thing. With that in mind, we sit here on December 28th, and we're looking at only a couple more days before we bring in a new year, a new decade. Um, in the whole landscape out there, there are huge changes taking place. Some are subtle, some are very, very um, uh, minuscule, but we all sense that there's a lot of change as a dynamic in the air. And uh, as I said in my preamble today, Carol, I went to the doctor for some advice on a uh, chest cold. I'm feeling better, thank you. And when I stepped on the scale, I did a double take and I said, uh, that can't, uh, wow. <laughs> and we, we, 
was that a good wow or a oh my gosh wow (laughs) yeah it was a wake-up wow it was a little bit of a shock i haven't been on a scale for at at least a year so that's that's the result there so you can already guess what kind of a resolution at least one of mine that i've got Uh, we have these old ways of of greeting the new saying goodbye to the old and you're going to help us with some brand new ways uh let's You've sent me a great list of things here uh, as resolutions here that are practical. Um, Resolution number one, acknowledge that I am still here. Uh, That's one, two, three, four, five. That's six words. But when you folks, when you really unpack those six words, there's a huge amount there. Exactly. That is, I think, the most important way to start. Um, First of all, at this time of year, we're all getting pelted with the same ads and commercials, and they're all going to help you start the new year right. But it's the same old stuff. It's the same worn out, been there, tried it, gave it up stuff. You know, eat less, work out more, quit this, start that, spend less money, save more money, get out of debt forever, except... You've got to hit the one-day the one day only sales that happen every single week, That you know, to me anyway. The new year, and now the new decade, gives us all a psychological clean slate. And it also gives us an opportunity to examine the impact that loss or, or change or life adversity has had on our lives. So in, in, for, for our discussion today, new year, new you simply means that if you don't like where you are right now on your healing journey, whatever it is that you are healing from, now is the time to resolve to take control of that healing journey. And acknowledging that you're still here is an important first step. So what does that mean? Obviously, we're still here. We opened our eyes and we put our feet to floor this morning. First of all, let's be grateful for that. We forget to be grateful for that. A lot of people are not able to do that. So we need to start exercising some gratitude. And then the next thing is to acknowledge that although you have been through a devastating, life-altering event, it's because that you are still here that makes you automatically entitled to a life that's filled with abundance and happiness, regardless of how much or how little time has passed since your life-changing event. You don't have to wait any specific amount of time to begin or pursue or further or start over on your healing journey. And along with that, hand-in-hand with that, this is important, you are not going to feel guilty and you're not going to doubt or question your pursuit of the life that you're entitled to. And that's a life that includes happiness and peace and calm and contentment. This is Carol Fleet, and she's the author of a number of books. Um, Loss is a four-letter word, uh, I think is the most recent, and uh, a recognized expert on grief. Our show today, A New Year, A New You, acknowledge that I am still here, resolution number one. As Carol said, everything that we've experienced, all that stuff with a capital S, (laughs) all that stuff, 
and we're still here. We survived it. Uh, there's a resilience. There is a strength that can be um, found in that very simple statement of six words. And uh, it's my hope this morning and my prayer for all you folks listening at your end that Carol's words today on moving forward will help each one of you in areas of your life that are appropriate for each one of you. Uh, we're doing a uh, worldwide radio show with people listening from all over the world, but we all have some issues that we are working through, and Carol's going to help us tackle those. So acknowledge that I am still here. And there is wisdom to be gained from that because when we go through stuff, uh, we either choose to learn from it or we choose to keep repeating the same stuff, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And that stuff, that, that capital S word, that stuff, um, it may have happened to Carol, it may have happened to me, it may have happened to you folks out there, uh, you that are listening right now. But it doesn't have to define who you are. In fact, it does not define who you are. Could you comment on that, Carol? Absolutely, because that's a, that's a huge mantra of mine, is that your experience, whatever is uh, challenging you right now, is definitely going to shape you. It is, you, you can't go through a life-altering experience and not be shaped or affected, and you can't be the person that you were before. And we've had that discussion, too, Scott, where everybody wants you to be, quote, normal, whatever normal looks like. And that, that's impossible. You cannot go through the life-altering, core-shaking experience and come out and dust off your hands and say, okay, I'm going to pick up where I left off. It's absolutely impossible. So your, your situation is going to shape you, but it doesn't have to define you. This is one of my favorite resolutions. And honestly, even if you don't pay attention to any of the other resolutions that we're going we're to touch on today, pay attention to this one. Don't be defined by tragedy. Don't be defined, defined by a destiny that you didn't choose. I'm not going to let the uncontrollables define who I am today and who I'm going to become tomorrow. That I can control. I cannot, for example, I cannot control life and death. Nobody can. Were that it were possible. You know, I could not control the fact that one month ago today, on Thanksgiving morning, my husband suffered one of what would become two heart attacks. Could not control that. But we can control our reaction to that. So you can take control of what can be controlled. That becomes your definition. That is what is going to define you, is how you react and choose to move forward. You choose to define who you are. You choose to define who you wish to become, and you choose the legacies that you're going to carry forward. Don't let yourself be defined by the false destiny of tragedy, because nobody is meant to live in a place of tragedy. Nobody is meant to live in a place of sorrow. That's not why we're here. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings us back to acknowledge that I'm still here. So all of these kind of fit hand in glove. But choosing how you're going to be, be defined has nothing to do with tragedy. Tragedy is going to help shape and mold you, but it's not going to become your ultimate definition. And it's not going to become your legacy. What does become your definition and your legacy is your reaction and how you choose to move forward from your loss. Not get over, because we know that we don't get over it, but we move forward from it in healthy and productive and proactive ways. It's easy for people in the Lincoln and southeast Nebraska area to wake up this morning and look outside and see a, a dreary morning sky with intermittent heavy rain. It's rained all night here in Lincoln. We've had uh, uh, over an inch and, and more scheduled for today and tonight. Mm-hmm. Just a big, huge uh, rain event. You're and welcome. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm that, getting... that, was, no, that, was our, that was our event on uh, Christmas night. That's what, so it's headed your way. So you're yep. welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. You know, I could either wake up and look and think, Oh, geez, dreary, drab day, gray, leaden skies, rain, wet, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or I can say to myself, this is a herald of the upcoming event that we all call spring. And we so much need the moisture in Lincoln, Nebraska, for the plants, the trees, the animals. Uh, It's going to prevent us from having a dry, barren landscape. It's a lush verdant spring that we look forward to and it's a life-giving essence and so i've turned that around and also thank god that i got my roof fixed <laughs> so i can say oh, yeah. rain, wonderful <laughs> you know you I, I celebrate and i i'm great uh, in gratitude for rain here so perspective is everything resolution number one acknowledge that you are still here we'll be back with carol fleet she's the author of Loss is a four-letter word. When bad things happen to good women, getting you or someone you know through the toughest times, happily even after a guide to getting through and beyond the grief of widowhood, widows wear stilettos, a practical and emotional guide for the young widow. Carol's website is widowswearstilettos.com. You'll also find Carol Fleet on Facebook. And Carol, it's so good for you to take time from your family, given what you shared with with your husband's health challenge to be with us and uh, looking forward to the rest of the program. I hope you're uh, having fun as well. I always do. Carol Fleet will be back in just a couple of minutes with her. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the time for end of year giving from now through December 31st. Your donation to KZUM Radio will go towards sustaining your community radio station through the winter. We've got thank you gifts, etc. As we look towards 2020, help set KZUM Radio up for success. And you can do so securely online at kzum.org or by calling us at 402-474-5086. We celebrated Jim 35 years in October for the radio show. We did. And uh, we want to thank everybody for being part of that 35-year journey. Um, Stick around for at least 35 more. I'm ready. 
if the coffee pot stays working. We'll be, we'll be back with Carol Fleet. More good coffee and conversation right after this. And we so much appreciate you listening to KZUM Radio and especially to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Our special guest this morning is Carol Fleet, and her website is easy to find, and it's catchy. WidowsWearStilettos.com Jim, you and I were talking off the microphone, and I encouraged mm-hmm. you to share with Carol what you shared with me, because you, you're the guy that's out there. You're the first interface with our, our guests. You do all the legwork, contact them, call them mm-hmm. up, get them ready for going on the air. Yeah, it's a tough job. And what what'd you say about Carol? Well, Carol, it's it's amazing, this, this talent that uh, you just hear her voice on the phone and you feel all the positive energy and optimism. Uh, I think Carol Fleet could cheer up a rock. Cry. <laughs> well, he told me that off mic, and I said, I want you to tell that to Carol because I, oh, I agree. And you know, Jim, Jim is the happiest person. You pick up the well, phone and you hear Jim's voice, and he, he's just so happy to be at the party. Yeah. Life, you can tell that Jim is just, he's, hi, I'm Jim, and I'm happy to be here. It's just, oh, it, it's such a joy to hear his voice on the other line first thing in the morning. Carol, in the book, um, um, loss is a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that I'm aware of that you included a discussion on spirituality in connection with grief and recovery. Um, and this is sort of a little aside in our resolutions here, but we'll get back to those. Why did you decide to do that, to include spirituality, when you hadn't in the past? That was a real, that was serendipity. It was a real happy accident. Um, when I first started writing uh, the books years, years ago now, uh, I intentionally decided to write from a secular place for, for several reasons. Um, the first being is that even people of faith, and, and you and I are, are two of those people, but even people of faith can experience a, a crisis of faith. Um, I know I did. When my late husband was initially diagnosed with ALS, I went through two years of being really angry at God mm-hmm. because I went, I, I did what I, I call singing the why me blues, which a lot of us do. So I really wasn't in the mood to hear the cliches that unfortunately a lot of us hear. God has a plan. God, God took him for a reason. Uh, things like that. That was especially comforting to me. Uh, so even people of faith aren't necessarily in that faith-based place at a time of loss. Also, there are people who are non-believers, and I wanted to be able to reach a, a non-believer as well and, and speak to them in language that they could receive and understand. You know, we can't just simply write from our perspective. We need to get behind the eyes of, in, in my situation anyway, and we need to get behind the eyes of as many people as we possibly can. So that's why I originally decided to kind of, you know, stay in a lane that included, that was, you know, secular. Uh, and there are wonderful, incredible faith-based grief recovery books out there, and I thought, leave it to the... Leave it to the experts. Well, 
it was in 2015, 2016, when Lost in the Four Letter Word was uh, in, you know, definitely in production, and I was writing and steamrolling along, that I did a personal appearance in Wisconsin. And they had asked me to include a segment on faith as it pertains to grief recovery. And I thought, okay, I can do this. And the segment that I did was called, Okay, God, Now What? And it was based entirely uh, and initially on my own evolution, if you will, from being a faith-based person my entire life to experiencing a severe crisis of faith, to finding my way back into faith better and stronger and more committed to faith than I ever was before. And I was talking to my editor about the reception to it because it was phenomenal, and she said, you need to put that in the book. You need to take whatever you said and turn it into a chapter and put it in the book. And that's how it wound up there. It was really uh, the happiest uh, of accidents that uh, I did branch out a little bit and talk about faith and how we can reconcile our faith with our grief. And you can do it on your terms. Uh, I don't proselytize and I don't preach because I don't believe in doing that to another person. But what I do teach is how to come back to your faith, whatever that faith is and however it manifests. I teach on how to find it again and and drink from that well again. If you've done it once, you can do it again. And here's the tool to help get you there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes between a rock and a hard place, uh, we have to act solely on faith that we're, we've been led in the past, that we are being led at present, and if we allow it, we will be led in the future. Um, shortly after year 2000, I had a marriage that was disintegrating. I had a business that was going uh, way below the waterline, struggling in every way. And there were many nights that I stood on my back porch and my deck and looked up at the stars and just in prayer said, I, you know, I don't have a clue, but I'm going to, whatever it is, tomorrow I'm going to show up and I'll do my best and I'm going to trust. And uh, I'm at a place now where I'm, I'm very, very grateful to have gone through those experiences because I have changed in ways that have been very, very good for me. And I've also recognized that indeed I was being led. I can look back, Carol, and maybe we could even take a moment and ask people listening to look back in their own lives at things that that each one of us have survived, overcome. And there's a process that almost if you'll allow it, you could recognize that you were being led and guided through that. Do you... Do you get a sense of what I'm talking about? I not only get a sense of what you're talking about, I think this whole, at least I'm speaking from a very personal place, this mm-hmm. last year has been a study in that entire line of thinking and how when you, you look back 
and you see, oh, here's where I was let down, here's where I was disappointed, here's where things were seemingly out of control, and and you, you get angry at life set of circumstances, you get angry at God when there's nothing else to scream and yell at, and then you look back and you see how the events unfolded and the timing of those events and how... You know, I call it spooky, again, call it serendipitous, call it whatever you want. Or you can say, you know what, God kind of knew what he was doing and he knew why. You know, God has a reason for saying no. You know, when people say, why doesn't God answer my prayers? He does. Sometimes the answer is no. Our parents didn't always say yes when we wanted them to. Well, let's look at God the same way for a second. Many people refer to God as the Father, Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, father is a parent. That's a, pre- a parental figure. And sometimes the parent has to say no. And sometimes in that moment of saying no, you get kind of mad because you really wanted the yes. But where we can sometimes only see down the block, God sees around the corner. And he knows that there's a reason to say no right now. And th- what, what really kind of gets my goat, Scott, is that sometimes, a lot of the times God's timing and my timing do not coincide. <laughs> And when, when God's timing and my timing don't fit, I get cranky. But when when you look back... Carol Fleet, Jim, gets cranky? Can't imagine I, that. I, 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 I do get cranky. And if Dave is listening to this, he's laughing right now. Mm. <laughs> um, yes, I do get cranky because you want that timing to coincide. You want the yes when you want it. And no, I am not the most patient person in the the world. But when I look back on how, you know, a series of events have unfolded, when I look back on the no's that I received, uh, that, that we all receive, that are disappointing or devastating or upsetting or, you know, cranky-making, but you see what, ha- what happened subsequent to those no's kind of all makes sense. Remember, faith is believing in something that you haven't seen yet. That's, that, that's the basis of faith. And, for, and speaking only for myself, when I have chosen to keep faith rather than give in to despair, and we all have those moments, but when you choose to, to walk in faith, however that faith looks for you, not for me and not for Scott and not for Jim, but for you, when you choose that path, these same events will unfold. You will get to stop for a moment and look in your rearview mirror and understand why things unfolded the way that they did. And for me, it was it, it, the, the timing throughout has been incredible. And looking back, I'm I'm nothing but grateful for it. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I, I'm filled with an incredible. Uh, gratitude, uh, especially for, you know, we never have, we, we, some, we, we pray a lot to God, mostly we do it in times of need or want, but we forget to send a thank you note. You know, I was brought up, if you've got a gift, you wrote a thank you note. Well, mm-hmm. when was the last time you said a thank you note to God? I've been sending a lot of them in the last few weeks, mm-hmm. and I will continue to do so. Because you can't keep taking from anyone or anything without saying thank you. 
So don't forget to do that, too. For those that, that uh, occasionally uh, go by my Facebook page, my personal page, you'll see that last night I posted um, my gratitude number 380 in a series that I'm doing. And I know exactly what you mean. Resolution number two and three, I'm going to group these both together. Realize that my healing journey is indeed mine. And resolution three, be kind to myself in all respects. And I hope you'll allow me to group those because they really dovetail. Absolutely. Um, First of all, um, realize that your healing journey is yours. Now, that sounds kind of silly. Obviously, it's yours. Or is it that obvious? Um, It should be obvious that your healing journey belongs to you, but unfortunately, a lot of people seem to permit others to inform or couch what their healing journey is going to look like. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Your healing journey can't be compared. It can't be compared to other people. It can't be compared to other experiences that you've had. You know, and my, my favorite uh, example there is, uh, I, is that I lost my, my late husband to ALS, and four months after I lost him, I lost my father to cancer. These were two monumental losses in my life. Could they be compared? No, absolutely not. If for no other reason than for the simple reason that I was the wife to one and a child to the other. So the lost perspective is entirely different. So right there, you have to stop comparing one loss to another. And also when we do that, we tend to lump losses together and we get it in our head that there's a statute of limitations on the number of times we can feel grief and the gravity to which we can feel grief. And neither one of those things are true. We are entitled to grieve each individual loss as the individual losses and experiences that they are. We also need to realize that your healing journey is neither fast nor is it easy. You can't hurry up recovery, even though there are going to be people in your orbit who wish that you would, because loss is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Loss is, to put it in a very technical medical term, icky. <laughs> we don't want to be around the icky, but that's just too bad for everybody else. You need to take the time, and the space that you need to recover in the positive, proactive ways that you see fit. So you're going to honor however and whatever you're feeling when you're feeling it, rather than let any opinions around you dictate how you should be feeling or what you should be doing. There's a huge difference there. And being kind to yourself is absolutely paramount. You know, what, what does it mean when, when, when I say resolve to be kind to yourself in all respects? And women, be honest. We especially have a hard time with this one, okay? Being kind to yourself is really simple. It's not difficult. This includes eating when your body asks you for food. And no, eating does not include Diet Coke and double-stuffed Oreos. I mean, feeding your body in positive ways that does not count as food as much as we wish it did. It means sleeping when your body needs rest and rejuvenation. Because that's what sleep is. And if you are having a difficult time, by the way, with eating or sleeping or you're having any other kind of physical 
or mental symptoms, get help. Don't suffer alone. Don't think, I can get through this or it will go away tomorrow. Okay? That is part of self-care, too. Another important aspect of taking care of yourself, being kind to yourself, is indulging, if you will, in whatever healthy pursuits fill your soul. What fills your soul? Scott, for example, for you, it's music. I know that because I've known you for two or three hundred years. <laughs> it's, it's music fills your soul. Your spirituality fills your soul. So listeners, what fills your soul? For, for me, I love going to, to the gym and sweating for an hour straight to fantastic music. That is what fills my soul, is jumping up and down. They call it Zumba. I call it, that it's my salvation. I love that. I also absolutely have dedicated time every day and then weekly to my faith. That has meant a world of difference to me. For you, it may be yoga, it may be painting, it may be writing. Whatever pursuit fills you up and gives you peace and hope and contentment and that some people call it Zen, whatever that is, do it. We make appointments with ourselves to see the doctor, to go to the mechanic, to to go to the dry cleaners or our kids' soccer games. Why can't we do that for ourselves? And finally, when it comes to being kind to yourself, your self-talk needs to be faultless and uplifting. Don't call yourself an idiot because you left the grocery store coupons on the counter. Don't tell yourself how stupid you are or or how ugly you are or if only I looked like had this or my bank account had that. Your self-talk must be faultless. And on those days that you don't believe in yourself or in your ability to heal, and we all have those days, turn to those who will breathe belief into you. Don't turn to people who will attempt to bring you down and keep you there. You know who those people are in your life. Turn to the people who will lift you up, who will give you whatever it is you need to get up and fight another day, because there is another day to fight. And sometimes, you know what, Scott, the difference between hope and despair is a decent meal, even if it's just chicken soup and a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. Agreed. That can be the big difference between hope and despair. This is Carol Fleet, and her website is easy to find with that catchy uh, phrase, widowswearstilettos.com. Her most recent book is Loss is a Four-Letter Word. And at widowswearstilettos.com, you'll find more out about Carol Fleet and the community of people that she's, uh, that she's been working with for many, many years. Uh, We'll take another resolution before the bottom of the hour break. Uh, This is resolution number four. Realize that my identity and my self-esteem have nothing to do with my marital status, my age, what I look like, my career path, my bank account, or any material accumulation. That's a big one. Because, again, we get pelted. Uh, by all forms of media, which, of course, in our lifetime has expanded to include social media and the Internet. 
And we tend to use all of those influences as a mirror. And that is how we choose to reflect ourselves. And that's just wrong. And it's difficult to divorce yourself from that, but divorce ourselves, we must. It's like going to an awesome buffet and you get your plate of food and you, and you go back to the table and you spend your whole time looking at the next table and all the food that they're eating. What a waste of time and food, okay? Your identity and your self-esteem come from within. And you need to recognize that what other people think of you is not half as important as what you think of you, okay? And none of that has to do with your marital status and age and all those other, uh, all those other things. You have to understand that not everyone is going to agree with what you do or how you go about doing it. I mean, I would love to think that everybody in the world loved what I wrote or agreed with what I said, but guess what? They don't, and that's okay because I don't concentrate on those people. I don't concentrate on Internet trolls. I don't concentrate on energy drainers. I concentrate on the people with open minds and open hearts. Even if they don't agree, that's okay because they've opened their minds and hearts to possibility. So as long as you recognize that not everyone you know, agrees with what you do or what you say or how you go about doing any of what you do in your life, but as long as you're not hurting yourself and as long as you're not hurting anyone else and all of your obligations and responsibilities are fulfilled, you are free to pursue the life that you want to pursue in the ways that you see fit. And none of that has to do with what you do for a living or how old you are or who you're dating or whether you're married or not or what the number on the bathroom scale says, Scott. None of that comes from any of those places. If you feel that you need improvement, uh, if you want to change careers or, or boost a bank account or, or, or set a goal, that's great. But that's not, again, it comes back to the definition of who you are. That's not where your identity and your self-esteem is going to be based. You can't base your ultimate contentment and happiness on a job, a bank account, the presence of another person or lack thereof, or what the stupid bathroom scale says. This is Carol Fleet, and one of her books I'm holding here in my hand, um, I would recommend When Bad Things Happen to Good Women, Getting You or Someone You Love Through the Toughest Times. We all have uh, times, men and women, that we go through uh, life-changing events. I've always found that Carol has been a great resource, and I want to acknowledge that again on the program and suggest that, that when there is need, um, take a look at her work. You can do so by going to widowswearstilettos.com. We'll be back with resolution number five. And it's a big one, too, folks, because we've been taught to almost at a point of being passive or meek to turn the other cheek. And we have to balance that with limiting time with energy drainers and allow those that contribute to my life in a positive way to help me. 
We'll be back with Carol's commentary on that resolution. And I hope you folks are doing great and enjoying the broadcast as much as Carol and I and Jim are. We really appreciate you being out there. I hope you'll stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Okay, Carol Fleet, back to this great conversation. And folks, it's so good to have you out there listening. Uh, you want to stay tuned and especially perk up your ears now. Resolution number five, limit time with energy trainers. Carol, who are the energy drainers? Well, the energy drainers, and, you know, we all have them. We, we all absolutely have them in our lives. You know, you, you might work with them. You guys don't, but you, your listeners might work with them. You, you could live next door to one. You, you, could be even, you could be related to an energy drainer. You know, if you spend enough time with an energy drainer, you're going to feel like somebody's let all the air out of your tires. You know, when you ask them how they are, they're going to tell you. And, and it's never good. They, they, they never have anything positive to say. You know, their job stinks. They'll give you a list of ailments you know, all, all of the time. Uh, their dog has fleas. The oven door is broken. I, they're, they're always tired. They're always exhausted. You know, you, we've all heard the, the metaphor about the glass is half empty or half full. Um, with an energy drainer, and I love this, their glass isn't just half empty. It's got a lipstick stain, and it's got a cigarette butt in the bottom, and it's full of dribble holes. These are the people that we call energy drainers. They are going to bring you down, and they are going to keep you there. You need to get away from them. You have to get away from them. Now, it is important, to be, and I want to be clear about this, energy drainers don't necessarily want to hurt you. That's not their... That's not their goal. That's not the end game. But they don't necessarily want to help you either. They don't want to lift you up. They don't want to help you get to where you need to go to get to a place of peace. They don't want you to succeed because they've chosen to be unsuccessful. They don't want you to be happy because they've chosen to be unhappy. They want you to make the exact same choices they've made. Misery doesn't just love company. They love an audience, and they want you sitting in the front row. Mm -hmm. And that is not going to help you. That's not going to get you to where you need to go. And unfortunately, energy drainers tend to have the loudest voices. And that is too often who people allow to inform their healing journey. Well, you shouldn't be dating again. You know, what, what's that about? Or, you know, why aren't you dating you're waiting too long. What are you waiting for? They're not coming back. You know, it's, it's, it's attitudes like that. And that's just one of a bazillion examples of what energy drainers can do to you. Get around your energy givers because they're wonderful. What is an energy giver? This is simple. Scott's an energy uh, giver. Jim's oh, an energy giver. These are the you. people for whom you are better for having spent time in their space whether that is one-on-one -on -one in person, whether it's online, whether it's on a radio broadcast, you are better for having spent time in their space. They're enthusiastic, they're uplifting, they're positive, their attitude is contagious. Now, it doesn't mean that energy givers don't have bad days or problems or negative things happen. They just don't lend power to the negativity. They embrace it. They absorb it, they deal with it, and then they continue forward. That's called fighting. And we all have those fights. 
it's what you put out into the universe. It's what you put into other people's lives that determines if you're an energy giver or an energy drainer. And it's the energy givers that need to help support your healing journey. And as far as informing and couching your healing journey, they will give an opinion when it's thought. They won't impose what, they're, what they believe or how they think that they would do things. They will support and lift you up. And if they see you taking a destructive path, they'll throw themselves in, in the, that destruction's way. They'll do whatever they can do to help you stay on a positive, life-affirming, uplifting, productive path. Uh, social media. Many of us are involved in Facebook. And on Facebook, you'll encounter, just as in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there are energy drainers that uh, love to take part in social media because it's anonymous. They can hide behind their monitor and make comments that they would never make in front of somebody for fear of getting punched out. And exactly. uh, so here's, and I want you to comment on this, Carol. Here's, my, here's the Scott Colborne method. When I encounter on social media an energy drainer, I greet them, I'm amiable, uh, I recognize and state that we have differing views. Uh, they're allowed to air their differing view. Uh, if they need to be warned about language, um, that sort of thing, I do so. And uh, I give them a space to say their say. And then, just as if somebody had crashed my party and is boisterous, I suggest that they find another place to go. And uh, if they need to, I then help them find the door and to exit. Uh, if they try to come back in, and then I will lock the door, a.k.a. I hit that magic button that is block or delete. And that's how I exist on social media. What do you think? I think that you are a much better person than I will ever be. And <laughs> I think that you are much more gracious uh, than I will ever be. And I say that because I have never been anything less than honest with you. And listeners, I have actually seen Scott in action do this. And uh, especially recently, I have seen Scott do this. And he is a man of his word. Um, I believe... And, and I actually, I, I, I've got to give attribution to where it's due. A, another, a, a person of prominence on Facebook mm -hmm. said this a long time ago. He said, uh, my page is not a democracy. It is my page. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to come into my space and be disrespectful or mean-spirited or any of those things. And I liked that yeah, because he, he it would be it. like, I, I like that. Because it would be like, Scott, if I walked into your living room and took a crowbar and started, you know, bashing things. Yeah. That's how I look at it. And I have had people come onto uh, my, I've got my personal page, which is, that's where you find pictures of family and cats and the occasional yes. martini. <laughs> and, uh, and then I've got the professional page, which is solely and strictly dedicated to the bereaved community. Um, if people come onto either one of those pages, but particularly the personal page, and disrespect not just me, but the people who are members of that page, 
who come into these spaces to either see pictures of cats or learn about bereavement and reach out to others who are in the same position, and they are met with disrespect, um, I'm going to deal with that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use that magic button, and I highly suggest listeners that you do the same. Um, it is a sad fact that these philosophies have cost uh, anything from you know potential readers to uh, friendships. But people who are who call themselves friends don't behave in a disrespectful manner. Yep. Disrespect, by the way, does not mean disagree. We can disagree and still be civil and intelligent and respectful about disagreeing. You know, if mm-hmm. we couldn't disagree in a respectful way, we would not have marriage. I mean, <laughs> that's just it. Nobody disagrees with everybody 100% of the time. But to be disrespectful, to be demeaning, to hurl epithets or name-calling or slurs, that will never be acceptable uh, in, in my world. And that's why I say Scott is much nicer than I am, because he does give benefit of the tout. I'm afraid I don't. <laughs> Yeah, that's well. I that's be honest about that. exactly what you said earlier. It's it's your you know people have to recognize that when they go to somebody's individual Facebook page, that's like walking into their sure. living room. You, you go into their it, home, you exactly follow their rules. It. Yeah, yeah. Yes, my house, my rules. You, you customize your page with with pictures, and these are the places I love to go. I I know that if, when I get to Nebraska, uh, Scott's going to take me and and Dave to Valentino's. Because I'm going to make him do it. Because he writes about Valentinos. This, this is, it's really like walking into somebody's house. It's a personality. You can, you can glean it from the page and the pictures and the events and the, the check-ins. And people don't have a right to come in with a, a cyber crowbar, if you will, and start you know, bashing it all over the place. Yep. That's not okay. <clears throat> Resolution number six except that I can't control the fact that I've suffered a loss or challenge, nor can I control the new life that I've been handed as a result. But I can decide to control what I am going to do with this new life. That's so important, and we touched on that at the top of the show. It's absolutely true. You can't control the fact that you suffered a loss or a challenge or life adversity. Most of us uh, are not victims of our, our own choosing. We're victims of a set of circumstances. But you can decide and control with what you're going to do going forward. And to that end, this is really helpful, folks. Make a list of what you would like to do and accomplish in the coming year. What, what do you want? It may, it may be years since you've ever even asked yourself that question. It might be a new hobby. It might be an activity that you had to give up for whatever reason and you want to resume. It might be something as simple as trying new restaurants or meeting new people or going new places. Whatever you decide to do or try, do so with the understanding that when you explore a new opportunity or a new experience, you're not disrespecting or dishonoring or turning your back on your past. You are not leaving behind people that you've loved and lost, uh, pets that you've loved and lost, homes that you've loved and lost, or careers. 
Instead, you're taking a, a control over a situation over which you may have had little or no control and slowly embracing a future of your choosing and a future that is of your design and not just something that was thrown at you by a set of circumstances that you couldn't control. Resolution 7, continue to be proactive on my healing journey rather than simply waiting to feel better. And Carol touched upon this earlier when she said, uh, what gives you joy? One of the best admonitions from a early spiritual teacher that I ran into, Patrick and Sharon O'Hara, uh, a remarkable couple, is they said, uh, when you were younger and it wasn't a question of money, what did you really enjoy doing? What gave you that sense of awe and joy? What, what did you get involved in that suddenly time passed that you don't have recollection of, that you were fully in the moment, that you looked forward to doing again, that really recharged you in ways that were, that were obviously remarkable? Discover that. Carol, is, is, that, is that a good way to be proactive? I think it's a wonderful way to be proactive because it also feeds into, and I, and I talk about this a lot around the holidays, around Valentine's Day, uh, when, we, when sometimes we get a little bit too mired in our situation that we forget to look outside of our own dynamic. You know, for example, we always feel better when we're in service to others. True. It's a fact. However you choose to affect that service, you will always feel better for doing that, for easing somebody else's way, for alleviating somebody else's pain, however you choose to do that. And there are a myriad number of ways that you can do that, whether it's volunteering at a shelter or at a soup kitchen, whether it is gathering packages for soldiers overseas or for the homeless. It is, it's being in service to others. My choice of service is uh, being uh, of some help in some small way to those who have experienced bereavement. That's my choice of service. Mm -hmm. uh, there are others, of course, too, but that's my primary choice. Um, being proactive on your healing journey means not just sitting around waiting to feel better. Time doesn't heal all wounds. It's a myth. You can't sit around letting time pass and just waiting for this magic day that you wake up and poof, time's passed you're better. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Get proactive. Utilize whatever tools that you need that are going to speak best to you, that are going to help you along your healing journey. Surround yourself with those tools, whether it's books or a support group, online or in person, whether it is getting active again in your faith, However that faith manifests, whether it's, you know, a Reiki master or a rabbi, whether it's, you know, a guru or an imam, however that manifests, get back to it. Surround yourself with the support of others, again, online or in person, who understand what you've been through and what you're facing. These are all just, this is just a few proactive things that you can do to move your healing journey in a forward-focused direction, because that's the direction we all want to be pointed in, mm -hmm. is forward. Acknowledge that it's not a sign of strength to try and heal alone. 
nor is it a sign of weakness to seek help. So it's important, folks, that you have an individual journey, but if you um, break your arm, you know that it's not going to work to sit in a chair. You need to go see somebody that's going to help you with that arm. And if there's a mental, emotional, spiritual crisis going on, seek out those people. Um, if you've got a great friend that, that you respect, if you need to, ask them. You know, if they were experiencing this, who would they go to? And Carol, above all, if you could speak for just to a moment for people that are experiencing because of grief, because of a incredible life change, they're experiencing depression. And it's a spiral that's taking them down. They don't feel worthy. They think that um, their family, their friends, the world would be better if they weren't here. And they might even be entertaining thoughts of taking their own life. Each one of us have experienced somebody, probably recently. If you could speak to that, I'd sure appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, I will humble myself, and uh, as I uh, do, and admit that I saw trying to heal by myself as, you know, the, the, the strength. Everybody tells you, you know, how strong you are. And if I accepted help in any form, that I was weak, that I was a failure. Because to me, failure was, that, that was just not an option. And I was so wrong in, in that. And it, this was a very early in my own healing journey as a new widow years ago. It isn't a sign of strength to try and heal alone. Again, and I loved Scott's example. It's so true. If you had a sore throat, if you had a broken leg, would you say, oh, you know, if I go to a doctor, it's a sign of weakness? Of course not. Well, a lost wound isn't visible. A mental wound isn't visible, but it's no less a wound, and it needs to be tended to. And that includes consulting with a doctor, a therapist, a coach, uh, your cleric, a mental health professional, any expert that can help you move forward, that can listen and help you design a plan as, as to how you can take baby steps to move forward and resolve what's going on. Depression is not a life sentence, and it's treatable. It is treatable mentally, and it is treatable medically. Please, please seek help. You can even you can do it now online. You know, 20 years ago that was not a thing. Mm. Well, now it is. And you you can do that online. There are also at the Widows Wear Stilettos website there is a list of resources designed exactly for people who are in that moment of despair. And a moment of despair is exactly that. It's a moment in time. It is not forever. It feels like it, but it's not. Please Pick up your phone book, a phone book, I've just dated myself. Pick up a phone book mm -hmm. or go online or go, go to uh, my website, go to anywhere. There are resources that can help you right now, right now, today, on a Saturday morning. You can start those baby steps back from depression and despair. Please, 
get the help that you need. It's out there. And a lot of it is out there at little to no cost. And Carol, the, the last resolution we can talk about, we've got about 60 seconds. Understand that when I actually pay attention to and affect these resolutions, I will become a more productive and stronger parent, child, sibling, friend, employee. When I start paying attention, that baby step turns into another, I become more productive. Your thoughts, Carol, in 60 seconds. That's exactly right. You, as soon as you start paying attention to you, as soon as you start affecting even one of these resolutions, you become better and more effective to the people that you love most. You become better and more effective to the people that depend on you, whether that is your employer, whether it's your, whether it's your parents, whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse or partner, you become more effective. It is, it's a beautiful circle, but it all starts and ends with you, and you have that control. Take it, starting right now. Carol, I want to thank you again for taking time um, on this uh, weekend, the last weekend of our, of our 2019 year for being with us. Um, you're a person that is beautiful on the outside. Anybody that sees your picture recognizes that. <laughs> but when they, when they don't you. and they hear your voice... That beauty comes from within, and I want to thank you for your gifts that you continue to share with people, and you, your husband, your family, I wish you all the best. Thank you, and the same to you, Scott, and to you, Jim. Working with the two of you has been my joy for eight years now. Oh, thank and, you. Wow, uh, cool. Eight of the 35 years. Oh, you are such of, a sweet talker. <laughs> of EUP, and it's a joy to work with you both, and I thank you for that privilege, and happy, happy New Year to both of you. Same to you. Carol's website, it's very easy, and it's catchy, it's fun, widowswearstilettos.com. And I would say again as an aside that some of the titles include women as specific audience. I have read her books, very applicable, easily applicable to guys and gals. Um, in terms of grief and recovery, I can't think of anybody better suited to recommend. When you go to your favorite bookstore, look for Carol Fleet. And information again at widowswearstilettos.com. Next week's guest is the celebrated medical intuitive Patty Conklin. She is on a cruise right now, so we'll do our best to actually hook up with her Okay. during her cruise. Sounds like fun. And uh, being a medical intuitive, she's found that the answers to issues lie in a person's tissues. And she helps people mm. recognize that. So it'll be a call-in show. We'll look forward to that. We want to thank Kara Fleet and everybody else in 2019 for making this a special, memorable year. Yeah. Thank you, guys and gals, for the celebration of 35 years of exploring unexplained phenomena. That celebration will continue next year, next decade, next week. Stay tuned now for Beta Radio coming right up with some great music. And until next week, I'm Scott Colborn, Walkin' Beauty. <laughs>